0: This episode of Last Things First is brought to you by CISO's Stand-Up Streaming Festival. Featuring 90 comics in 12 weeks, CISO's Stand-Up Streaming Festival is loaded with new stand-up comedy, including exclusive specials from Jenna Friedman, Janine Garofalo, Nick Thune, and Joey Coco Diaz. A new special premieres every week, with more exclusive comedy dropping throughout the festival. To watch all this comedy and much more, go to CISO.com and start your one-month free trial. It's only three ninety nine per month after that. In addition to the stand-up festival... CISO has original series including Bajillion Dollar Properties, Take My Wife, and Harmon Quest, plus an extensive library of British comedy, classic series, and late night, including every episode of Saturday Night Live, right up to current episodes, available the morning after they air. Again, go to CISO.com, that's S-E-E-S-O dot com, to start your one-month free trial and get exclusive access to CISO's stand-up streaming festival. (laughs) Nicole Byer first captured the comedy world's attention as part of the improv group Doppelganger, which also featured future Saturday Night Live player Sashir Zameda. Byer co-starred on a late-night sketch show of her own on Fox produced by the Lonely Island called Party Over Here. She's also appeared on Lady Dynamite, Transparent, 30 Rock, and the movie Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Nicole's relationship with MTV began with appearances in web series, then on TV with Girl Code and Ladylike, now her own starring series based on her life, Loosely, Exactly, Nicole. She caught up with me before her first season finale, so let's get to it! Well, Nicole Byer, last we left Loosely, Exactly, Nicole, uh, heading into the season finale... You had announced you were quitting. Yes. The TV version of you. Yes. When was the last time the real Nicole Byer thought about quitting comedy? It's
1: when I quit comedy. It's truly, that's literally from my life. I went to an audition for Grease. That's the actual audition I went on. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have sheet music. And the pianist didn't call me a dumpster bitch, but he was so mean to me. (laughs) It felt like he called me a dumpster bitch. And then I cried in a footlocker. And then I quit comedy. I quit acting for I think it was two years, I think it,
0: yeah two. Oh wow! So this is before Doppelganger. Yes. Okay, because that's when I first saw you.
1: Yes, way before Doppelganger. I guess that was two thousand six to eight. Okay. Yeah, because I started taking improv in two thousand eight.
0: So how did you first get involved in improv?
1: I Googled what do actors do when they're not acting, <laughs> and then, like one blog was like improv. Improv mm-hmm. is how you stay sharp on your feet. So then I applied to be an intern at the Pit, mm-hmm. the People's Improv Theater, and then they had too many interns at the time, so then they, they said I couldn't be an intern, so then I was like, well, fuck you. <laughs> and then I like looked up other places, and I don't know why the magnet never came up, because that's the third improv theater right. here, but only UCB came up, so then I just started taking classes at UCB.
0: Okay. And were you in the city already, or were you commuting from Jersey? No, I was already in the city. Okay.
1: After high school, I moved here, because this is where I belonged. <laughs>
0: How did you first, uh, hook up with, uh, Sashir and Keisha? UCB. Okay.
1: So, we, Sashir and I both had the same 101 teacher, Sylvia Ozels, okay. and she was asked by, this is such an insidery thing, so, a 600- The Comics class, Comic is an insidery website. Oh, okay. Website. So, I don't know if UCB still has 600 classes, which mm-hmm. is like above advanced study herald. Mm-hmm. It's like, a... At 600 level, you learn, like, a different form, like a deconstruction or a Laronde or, like, tracers or something like that. And there's a 600 level called Suck My Dick, which was just women who I think did a Laronde. And they had a show at Under St. Mark's, and they asked Sylvia to put together a group of diverse-leveled women. So, like, it didn't have to be, like, ethnically diverse, just, like, 101, 201, 301, right. like, through the levels. And then me and Sushir were both on that team that ended up being called Wizard Sleeve. Which is a pussy. (laughs) And and uh, she was really funny. And I was like, oh, she's so funny. And then she said that I did a move that was very funny. And she was like, oh, she's very funny. And then we became friends. We Mm -hmm. met at McManus. And then we talked. And then the rest is history. And then she was already performing with Keisha. Okay. So then she was like, I don't want to keep doing a two-person duo with two different people. So why don't the three of us perform together? And then we had a show at the Creek. So insidery. uh, Well, no, this is
0: what I'm fascinated about, because I feel like it took (coughs) Doppelganger a while to get in the good graces of the UCB system, Mm. but then once you did, you really... Just about a year. Okay. So, like, we were together... That can feel like a lifetime to an aspiring comedian, a year.
1: No, because we were just worried about getting good, and we traveled so much. Okay. We, like, went to Vancouver twice. We went to Atlanta. We went to Sketchfest in San Francisco, we went to Boston, Improv Boston. Yeah, we just traveled for, like, that year, and that was, like, a lot of
0: fun. What what, what was the key to having just a three-person group as opposed to six or seven?
1: Uh, six or seven, sometimes you're just, like, too many cooks in the kitchen. With three people, usually it's a two-person scene, and then the one person's on the back line who's, like, watching it and can, like, add to it. But, like, you just have to listen when there's only three people, And then the show rests on all three of
0: your shoulders. (laughs) And you could really be the quick wit of the three. At least that's what I remember. No? You're shaking your head no.
1: No. Well, the way I described us was I'm the ghost of Christmas present. I'm only in the present. I never think about what happened. I never think about what's going to happen. Keisha's the ghost of Christmas future because she could always tie up a show in the most eloquent way possible. And then, so she has a ghost of Christmas past. She remembers everything that's happened. and can like bring it back and like make some really nice, solid connections. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I guess that's probably why I, s- the shows that I saw of you three, you were always the quick way. Cause you were in the moment. Oh first.
1: yeah. I'm in the moment. I'm useless to a show, you kn- <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you knew exactly what, Very what line to like useless get an to a laugh. good
1: show. <laughs> I'll never bring anything back and I'll never make moves that help you in the future a very bad improviser. But
0: your uh but your relationship with MTV goes goes back to those days. You were doing web series for them and
1: I started doing MTV stuff in 2013. Mm-hmm. No, maybe late 2012. I did a show called Philosophy with Hasan Minhaj, yes. who's now on the Daily Show. And then in 2013 I did Girl Code. And then when I moved out to LA, I did that web series I think the, you're talking about, the fast, fast Food, food Heights. Okay. Mhm. So, 3 years what, so time.
0: so you were doing college humor stuff before MTV stuff. Mm,
1: I didn't really do college humor stuff out here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I did college humor stuff more in LA. Okay. So that's 2013. Er, yeah, 2013-ish.
0: All right. Well, what what then was the was the bigger break for you?
1: MTV. Being on MTV. television. <laughs> <laughs> being on television was a much
0: bigger deal. Did you see that instantly with with philosophy, or did it take no. Girl Code?
1: No, nobody watched philosophy. Uh... <laughs> Girl Code. Girl Code was wild because I don't think anyone thought it was going to be as successful as it was because, I mean, it just, they put it on the air and then people just watched it. Right. And, like, they didn't promote it. It was just, like, a show that they put on and people were like, this, I'll watch this every week. Um, But, like, every week it aired, my phone would, like, blow up and I couldn't use it for, like, an hour. Wow. And it was nice
0: and it was fun. No, I mean, it turned, it, it turned some of the comedians into, like... Working club headliners. Yeah, what did what did it do for you in the immediate aftermath? Aside from your touring,
1: I tour a lot. I make a lot of money going to colleges, (laughs) uh, which is very nice. Yeah, and then it parlayed it into getting my own scripted show.
0: Okay, but before before loosely exactly, Nicole, you also did um, Party Over Here for Fox.
1: I did. Rest in peace, bye bye. Uh, that was fun I did that because I was like This is going to be The last time in my adult life That I'm probably offered To do a sketch show Unless I go pitch one Which I'm not going to do Because I'd rather do A narrative Right And it was with Two friends uh, A girl named Jess McKenna That I had done improv Or no uh, Sketch with for like Two years at UCB LA And then Allison Rich That I had done sketch with In UCB New York And was still close with And she like Lived on my couch For eight months So it was just like Going to work every day There was just like Literally going And hanging out with friends
0: What did you learn from that experience that you brought to Loosely, Exactly, Nicole?
1: Um, To, like, restate things. So, like, if you say something and someone says something different, just say what you mean again. Because they're usually not listening to you. (laughs) Fox had a very interesting time listening to us. Right. And we would turn in sketches and they'd be, like, too dirty. And you'd be like, you read this sketch. It's called Ghost Fucker. What did you think it was going to be? So <laughs> I learned that networks don't read anything. That a lot of people don't read things, right? And they're just like, "This looks good, whatever." But then working not to any- shit on Fox because they were wonderful, right? And I like them. If they ever want to hire me for something, I'll do it. <laughs> but like just that show specifically, I was like, "This is nuts!" And like Paul Shear had a huge issue with them. Oh, really? Yeah, he like wrote an op-ed piece for like I think uproxx.com where he was like, "This is stupid. This is ludicrous. This." This is what the sketch should have been. This is what aired. And I just liked that he took up for us. It was like, the show's funnier than what aired.
0: Well, he went the other way. He had done a sketch show for MTV with Human yes. Giant and then and then worked behind and the scenes went to, as a producer yes. writer for, for you with Fox and you going the other way. Mm-hmm. This episode of Last Things First is sponsored by the Impractical Jokers. America's favorite four comedians and lifelong friends, Sal, Joe, Q, and Murr of the Impractical Jokers, are about to endure their biggest punishment yet, and they're going to do it live. This year's season finale features the Impractical Jokers teaming up with Nitro Circus for high-acting stunts, fan-favorite challenges, and thrilling punishments. It's sure to be their biggest season finale ever. See the Impractical Jokers Live Nitro Circus Spectacular two-hour live event on Thursday, November 3rd at 8 p.m. on True TV. Live in Philly or the tri-state area? Then see it in person at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. Go to Ticketmaster.com and be a part of Impractical Joker's history. I mean, loosely, exactly, Nicole. There's no probably more apt way to say something is semi-autobiographical. Yeah, than loosely, exactly. Loosely, exactly. In a
1: meeting, someone was like, it's loosely exactly based on Nicole's life, and Andrew's like, "That's the title," and I was like, "Avi, that's a sentence," <laughs> and then it got shortened. It's still a mouthful, but I think it explains what the show is pretty on the nose.
0: In your real life, what was the last day job you had?
1: UCB, working at the front desk at UCB. Well, that's a nice
0: day job. Oh, it was a great day job. I just
1: hung out with funny people all day long, and uh, I remember I said it to Sashira. She was like, "Don't you think you want a different job?" I was like, "No, this is the last job I'm ever gonna have," <laughs> and uh. It happened.
0: What was the moment when you realized you didn't have to do that job anymore?
1: Uh, when I got girl code.
0: The minute you got girl code? Or, or well, when I
1: got girl code, I knew checks were coming.
0: Well, that's why I say the minute you got it or, yeah. the, or when you I got mean, the first check? Uh,
1: well, the minute I got it because then I spoke too soon because sometimes it takes a while for you to get paid.
0: <laughs> so how did you handle that in in-between period?
1: I had a little nest egg. Okay. So I had like a little cushion.
0: All right. But this is something you you wanted since high school? No. Theater? You had, what was your original plan?
1: Well, I mean, I wanted to be an illustrator, but then I took a drawing class, and I'm not good at that. I mean, I didn't want my own show until someone was like, you can have your own show. Like, when I met with my manager, my current manager, he was Mm -hmm. like, like, what's your goal? What do you want? And I was like... I want Judy Greer's career. And he was like, what? And I was like, I just want to be in things. And I want people to be like, that lady funny. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I see more for you. You should see more for you, too. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Truly, I just, my friend Marcy's like, you're the luckiest idiot I know. You just, like, fall into things. And it's kind of true. I don't, like, have lofty goals. Things just, nice things happen. Well, like, people tell me I can have these things.
0: Right. And then I work for them. But you didn't envision any of this.
1: No, I didn't start doing comedy being like, I want my own show. You didn't
0: have a vision board? You no, I
1: started doing comedy being like, I want to be the funniest person I can be and then make a living being funny. Okay. And that doesn't entail having your own show, but this no. is better than what I envisioned.
0: Right. How would you compare it to, um, to Sashir? Because she's on a huge show, but a small part in the show. And then you're on a smaller show, but you're the star.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, Sashir and I our careers are apples and oranges, so I can't compare the two, uh, and I won't speak on her experience because it's not my story, and right. I don't know. So, I mean, you'd have to ask her how she feels about uh, her part on SNL. I'm proud of her, but
0: I mean, if you know, if you're still friends and you talk, do you? We talk every you, day, right? So, do you do you ever think about like, oh, if that were me and this were you?
1: No, because that's the way the cookie crumbled. It's not me. I have my own show, and she's got her job. Mm-hmm. So, know, truly, we're two separate people who have two separate jobs. And, I mean, it's like if you're a lawyer at two separate practices, and one has a different position than the other one, what, are you going to compare yourself to that other lawyer? No, you just live
0: your lives and do you. How are you able to have that attitude in, in a in a business, in a climate, especially like UCB and, and comedy as a rule, where people are always comparing themselves to everybody else whether it's trying to make a herald team or trying Mm -hmm. to get cast in a sketch show
1: i don't think it's fair to compare yourself to other people uh because your journey is not going to be the same as somebody else's journey so i just try to keep my eyes on my own paper and whatever's on my papers for me what's on your papers for you if i'm looking at your shit it's yours it's not mine so why would i compare myself to something that's never going to happen for me because it's yours
0: well that's a great attitude to have where did you where did you Pick that up. Where did you Therapy.
1: learn Therapy. <laughs> no, I've always kind of had that attitude where sometimes you'd be like, well, why not me? And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, it's a big white dude. That's why it's not me. Like, I just, I just try to like, why get upset over something that wasn't for you?
0: Right. Is that, are you able to have that attitude in all the auditions you've gone on? Or yeah, if they want me like, for it, they'll hire me. Mm-mm.
1: If they don't, they don't. <laughs> I also go out for things where it's like 40 and white. And they'll be like, we're just looking. And I'm like... No, you're not. <laughs> like, you don't know what you want. And mm-hmm. usually it'll go to, like, what's already been written on the paper. But truly, you can't, like, want shit that you, you're not going to get. Like, don't celebrate till you get something. Something's not yours until it's yours. Uh, if you... There's no point in, like, getting upset over shit that, like, wasn't going to happen for you or isn't happening for you.
0: Did you really learn that in therapy or...?
1: Well, I learned that living. Mm-hmm. I, d- I only started doing therapy, like, a year ago. Okay. But, like, but I like
0: that whether it was a real answer or a joke answer.
1: No, yeah, it was a joke <laughs> answer. I mean, with like Harold Knight or whatnot, I auditioned for Harold. I wasn't put on. Mm-hmm. I was put on right before Anthony King left New York, and then I was cut from my Harold team in LA, and I was upset over both of those things. But then I have my own show, and like some people who are still on Harold Knight don't. So like, right. it's a different journey that everybody has.
0: Who has been really good, personally, or things that you've read or seen that kind of stick with you in terms of like? advice and counsel and things to lean on
1: um i don't know i can't think of anything like i can't think of anything specific but anytime someone's been like just be the best person you can be Mm -hmm. or like be the best performer you can be that's always good advice
0: okay but you don't have like a go-to source for when you need inspiration i'm Uh, gonna no i don't have like this book or this poem and uh, I'm going to watch this movie for the umpteenth time. I guess
1: Ghost. I've watched Ghost a hundred million times. It's my favorite. Anything with Bopi Goldberg in it. Mm-hmm. Also, my cousin Vinny, Marissa Tomei, wearing that onesie stomping about her time clock. It's very funny to me, and it's always funny to me.
0: Well, Oscar winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, on the flip side, uh, if somebody's asking you for advice, and they're completely new mm-hmm. to comedy, but they're, they've seen you, and they're like, oh, I want to do that. How do you do that? What's the first... The very first thing you tell them.
1: Move to New York, L.A. or Chicago. Find like-minded people and then create shit. And put it online.
0: Hey, I mean, that's that's... <laughs> <laughs> or it's, perform it's as much as, as possible.
1: Do open mics. I mean, truly, it's not that hard. It's just get your shit out there.
0: What do you think stops people?
1: Uh, I don't think people think their stuff is worthy to put online, maybe. Or, like, they don't know that. Like, I didn't know. like, starting performing at UCB, no one was like... You can't just perform, you have to create. So like, once somebody said that, I was like, oh well duh, of course you have to create. We have to always be creating stuff. So, yeah.
0: Well great, well thanks for, thanks for, uh, keeping, uh, creating things that, (laughs) that make me laugh.
1: Yeah, thank you for laughing. (laughs) What a treat this was. Thanks Nicole. Thank you.
0: He's first.